Day 14. It is now two weeks since my surgery. Most days since, a community nurse has come to the house to clean and dress my wounds. I am very thankful for this service and for the care and commitment of the nurses who perform it. All this has reminded me of a verse in Psalm 147 verse 3, which says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The wounds on my leg are as nothing compared to the heartache many are experiencing today. Around the world are countless victims of oppression, violence, abuse, discrimination and injustice. Those who mourn and lament the loss of loved ones and others who face poverty, hunger, disease and stress, who face hopelessness, loneliness, disappointment and fear. There are not enough nurses in the universe to bind these wounds and heartbreak is seldom quickly healed. But the Psalms remind us that God sees, God cares and God heals the brokenhearted and winds up their wounds. My wound care does not mean it is finished. The next day it happens all over again. But every binding of a wound helps the process of healing. I believe that ultimately all healing comes from God and that in his tender care, broken hearts are mended. Today I am thankful for wound care and for the one who binds all wounds. But what of those who consider the help and healing of God an illusion? who refuse to be consoled by what they consider empty hope. Sam addresses their worldview and asserts that perhaps they're not as well thought through as they would like to imagine. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They are my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. To think that when people stop believing the truth, they don't believe nothing, they believe anything. I understand how we can be misled by different claims, and confused by the overwhelming amount of information. I also appreciate that negative personal experience or more engaging current priorities can be a contributing factor in people dismissing God. I'm well aware how the echo chambers that we inhabit recirculate our opinions and reinforce our prejudices. We are perhaps the most informed and least thoughtful generation in history. But this old psalm starts with strong words which resonate through time. 
This psalm and Psalm 53 start with the same opening refrain, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is a judgment being passed on a way of thinking and a way of living, that to dismiss God is foolishness. To declare that God does not exist does not make sense. Many philosophers have advanced their view that there is no God. From the post-Enlightenment declaration of the death of God, to the French existentialist, to the four horsemen of new atheism, there has been a constant articulation of the non-existence of God. This has been popularised by musicians, artists, writers and comedians. At its core is the position that belief in God has no intellectual basis. What David says here is that the reverse is true. It is not the believer who is foolish, but the atheist. There is also a clear connection made with behaviour. How we want to live shapes what we choose to believe. There is a relationship between these people's denial of God and their priorities in life. In this psalm, these people's foolishness spawns corruption. They have dismissed any sense of being under a supreme authority, so they have turned away from God and do not do any good. They consume God's people and ignore God. This can seem overly harsh to our eyes. Surely people are entitled to their opinion, and not everything an atheist does is going to be bad. The problem is that without God there is no accountability, no external standard against which human choices can be evaluated. Nietzsche, reflecting on the implications of the death of God for Western civilization in Twilight of the Idols, writes, When one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality out from under one's feet. This morality is by no means self-evident. Christianity is a system, a whole view of things thought out together. By breaking one main concept out of it, the faith in God, one breaks the whole. Nietzsche believed that this was the right thing to do, but recognised the negative implications it would bring. David observes that the Lord looks down from heaven. The existence of God is not a personal choice. God is present and engaged with humanity. The choice is whether we seek him or not. It's considered conclusion on his time is that there is no one who seeks God, no one who understands. Corruption is widespread and godless living seems endemic and universal. But at the same time as this judgment is being passed, there is an alternative group. God is present and there are a group of people who seek trust and follow him. They are in the world, but not of it. Paul writing to the Romans says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God does not leave things as they are in the world. And those who enjoy a position of dominance and have dismissed God will one day face a reckoning. David talks about those who dismiss God as being overwhelmed with dread when they are faced with God's people. It is uncomfortable to face the possibility that the God who has been dismissed and ignored may in fact be real and that the decisions of life are based on the shakiest of foundations. Choosing to live without God has consequences. At the end of the Shawshank Redemption, when Andy has escaped and the warden's corrupt behaviour has become public, we see the warden sitting in his office. The shot pans to a framed cross-stitch on the wall, which reads, His judgment cometh, and that right soon. In the distance, police sirens can be heard, and too late the warden realises that he is going to be called to account for the corruption and violence he has presided over. David is confident that the Lord intervenes in the present by providing a refuge for the poor who are on the receiving end of the corruption. The plans of the poor are frustrated by evildoers, so they cannot achieve prosperity or equity. But God provides a shelter by being their refuge. At the same time, David looks forward to when the Lord will intervene more decisively, that salvation would come for God's people, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion and that God would restore his people. Paul, writing at a different point in history to the people of God in Philippi, reminds them that God is at work in them and that they should follow God's way so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In a warped and crooked generation where people continue to deny the existence of God, the challenge is to be different, to shine brightly in the darkness. This will not always be a comfortable reality for those who have become accustomed to life in the dark, but that word of life we hold out to others, it is the only hope of salvation and the only route to restoration and joy. In that same letter to the Philippians, Paul speaks about a time to come that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It is much better that people make that decision now, rather than realising too late that they have lived foolishly.